Hey everyone, this is James Mackey and welcome to the Breakthrough Hiring Show. Join us as we cover high-level thought leadership and step-by-step guides on how to make people a competitive advantage for your organization. I'm incredibly proud to be the CEO of Secure Vision, the sponsor of this show and the number one contract recruiting, embedded recruiting, and RPO firm. A thank you to our partners, Greenhouse, the hiring operating system for people-first companies, and Gem, the all-in-one hiring solution recruiters love. Let's go! Hello, welcome to TA Trends and Strategy. I am your host, James Mackey. I got a solo episode for you today. I'm going to be talking about the economy a little bit, what's going on in tech and hiring, and then also going into some insights that I think you might find helpful uh, about why companies fail at hiring the right people, how to build a talent acquisition department from scratch, how to hit hiring plans in uh, hyper growth, and how to stand out in the recruitment process amongst uh, competitors on the market that are gunning for the same talent. So let's uh, let's jump right into it. I am seeing a lot of interesting data out there and people pushing a lot of interesting data out there around layoffs and hiring in the tech industry. And I definitely have some thoughts. We're seeing more and more companies going through layoffs in big tech and growth stage companies that uh, maybe aren't publicly traded, but are also like, let's say, a late funding round, a, a Series C, D, uh, and possibly later pre-IPO seem to get hit the hardest. They were operating primarily on investment cash flow, uh, many times over $100 million in funding that slashed significant budgets uh, to try to right size and, and maintain through this market. So we saw a lot of companies cut by hundreds of folks. It's uh, been pretty consistent that the companies that seem to have been weathering the storm a little bit better are the very early stage companies. My company, Secure Vision, we provide embedded recruiting, which essentially means we have recruiters that operate like internal recruiters on demand for tech companies. We are seeing the vast majority of our revenue right now come from companies that are under 50 employees. And you know, last year before this correction, let's say Q1, Q2 of 2022, about half of our customers were late growth stage, handful publicly traded. And that's not the case anymore. Most of the revenue is coming from early stage. I'm seeing a lot of data that while we've seen, I think it's like 150K plus layoffs in 2023 in tech, that more tech jobs have been added. But I'm going to push back on that data a little bit because I think it's referring to tech jobs that aren't necessarily in the tech industry. So they might be like, you know, IT or software jobs, but for companies that are not software startup and growth stage. So if you're in the tech industry and the startup or growth stage phase or working for a software company or down the pipe tech company, and you're looking at this data, hearing that all these jobs are being added, but you're like, what the hell? Like all I see is layoffs around me. It's because I don't think the data is adding up. We're seeing the tech industry as in software companies, SaaS, startup, growth stage, big tech going through this massive correction. And yes, overall, like basically the concept of the tech industry is probably going to dissipate over time because every company is going to be tech, right? Like manufacturing, supply chain, everything's going to ultimately be tech. So this idea we have of like this tech industry, startup growth stage SaaS is, is probably going to disappear. But anyways, they're referring to tech jobs in general. They're not, ref- I don't think it's referring to like start, and I've been doing a ton of research and the way that everything is wor- worded I don't, it's not referring to just startups and growth stage. So if you're st- sitting there scratching your head, like what the hell's happening? Everybody's telling us that the economy is going great. Everything's still moving in the right direction, but it feels like everything's falling down around me. It's because they're referring to the greater tech market, right? Uh, so I just feel like that's an important differentiator because honestly, I'm, I'm hearing all this shit on LinkedIn and all these articles and it's like presenting this reality that just 
doesn't seem to be existing. So yes, jobs are being added overall, but if you're working in startup and growth stage, it's definitely very much so still a slowdown. So if you have any comments or thoughts on that, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn or talenttrends.io. And I'd love to have a conversation with you and happy to provide more insight. So the next thing I want to do is talk about how to build a talent acquisition department from scratch while in hyper growth. Maybe you're a talent acquisition leader that is moving into a new company uh, for the first time and you're, you're essentially filling a void, or maybe you're a founder CEO that needs to ramp very quickly. And I want to share with you the best ways to do that. So one of the in earlier in my career, one of the initial positions that I took was as a chief people officer for a hundred person SaaS company based out in New York. And at the time, they had ambitions to grow headcount by 50 to 100% uh, over the following 12 months. And they needed a talent acquisition leader to come in and make sure they're on track. They had had trouble with quality of hire, uh, filling roles in general, a lack of process and technology. So I'm just going to walk you through the first things that I did. And again, whether you're a founder, CEO, or talent acquisition leader, chief people officer, this should be valuable to you. Uh, The first thing that I did when I went into the environment is look at their process and uh, tech stack. Literally before even having any conversations with folks, I wanted to see the infrastructure of the machine and what was set up, because to me, that'll help me identify a lot of gaps in the process and where things are slipping. Uh, From there, I did discuss with the rest of the executive team, the hiring team, current interview process, Uh, how they're finding candidates, how they're evaluating candidates primarily and breaking down that process. And I was able to identify that there wasn't a lot of consistent process across the board. So I did collect a lot of data, but I didn't have a lot to work with. So the first thing was, again, looking at process and tech, what was built out, talking with hiring managers, executive teams in terms of what the process that's built out that may not be in technology. And then from there, it was really important to do two things in tandem. I knew there was a lot of process and technology that needed to be built out, but I also knew that I had to get some early wins. And my role as a CPO overseeing talent acquisition as well, I had to make sure that I was able to show the value I was bringing to the table within the first couple months. I didn't have the luxury of sitting around working on process and tech while hires weren't being made. So it's basically you know building the parachute as you're jumping out of the plane, I think is how people say, right? Uh, which is pretty typical for startup and growth stage. But you know, we started to integrate, uh, implement Greenhouse, make sure that the systems were up to date. But at the same time, we built out very quickly an initial structured interview process and started to evaluate t- uh, talent uh, in a, a more consistent way. We didn't have time to train the hiring managers. Uh, we didn't have time to get down custom interview case, uh, questions in all cases because we were doing account executives, software engineers. There was a lot of open recs. But what I did initially is I was involved with every final round interview for the company. Now, there might be a point in time at a certain scale where that's not always possible. However, my suggestion would be find a way to make it possible. Even if you're a 500-person company and you don't have process and tech built out and you're overseeing talent acquisition, whether as a CEO or whether as a talent acquisition leader, you need to be involved in that final round interview. And make sure that only quality folks are getting hired. And you have to do that at a minimum until you have the right checks and balances built out to make sure that the best folks are in place. So a couple of the problems that I saw was, was again, really just came down to quality. There was sometimes the wrong people were getting hired. Sometimes the wrong candidates were just put in process that would ultimately be passed on. 
but it just created these terrible funnel dynamics where we had too many people on the funnel. And so the conversion rates were off and it was wasting a lot of the time of hiring managers. So one of the first things I did was look at the top of funnel, how we're evaluating talent and what type of talent was making it in front of hiring managers. So because we actually, at the time, we had a small internal talent acquisition team, we had to leverage three third-party vendors. And so we were working with a lot of contingent agencies but the issue was we didn't have the right checks and balances in place. So they would end up pushing candidates through that weren't necessarily the great, the best fit for our business. So I had to hit pause on contingent just for a minute, get some get good checks and balances in place uh, to make sure that we're evaluating screening resumes and, and uh, LinkedIn profiles properly. Uh, and to make sure that we had custom interview questions built out for recruiter screens to make sure we're covering the right things and to make sure that each interview uh, step had custom questions built out to ask the, the same thing to different candidates. It was only once I had those things built out that I could unlock the lever uh, of contingent firms. Contingent firms can operate very quickly, but if you don't have the right checks and balances in place, you, you're going to probably end up with a low quality higher, higher score overall for your hires that come from that source. Because you have to remember contingent agency recruiters are their performance is based on placement in which they receive a large quota. Their skill set is based on objection handling primarily, not as much on screening. They know how to align skill sets, but again, they're not necessarily incentivized for quality of hire. I understand that the best ones probably, you know, a lot of them probably do a good job, but I'm just saying that you, as a company, you have to have the right checks and balances in place because otherwise they're going to push, 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 push back on candidates and, and push them past hiring managers with a good objection handling, and you're going to get the wrong people in your company. So we really tightened up that process. The other thing that we did is we tightened up the process of what happens before a job comes open. Uh, so what the way that it was structured in, in uh, the greenhouse before I joined was basically anybody could open a role and start to put candidates behind it. So we actually put it uh, in implemented an approval process so that companies, uh, hiring managers could actually not just go through and uh, open a roles. And we required a lot of things. And so I probably can't remember all of them off the top of my head, but a few of the most important ones were they needed to have a clear salary range. They needed to have a clear job description. They had to have a clear onboarding process in place. So they needed to have a 30, 60, 90 day plan. If they didn't know how they were going to onboard the person, then we wouldn't even allow them to open the role, which I think is like really important. And most companies don't do that. The other thing is they had to clearly articulate, maybe I should have said this first, they needed to clearly articulate why this headcount was required and the impact it was going to have on the business. And a lot of hiring managers, like what we learned, didn't have like a a really strong pulse on this. It's like, oh, well, we need this person because we need, you know, more bandwidth. But they really hadn't weren't able to articulate the lift that this would be able to provide to the department on a quarterly or annual basis. Like we we didn't see that that being tied back. So we we asked them to do that as well. And once all of that information was presented, uh, the recruiting team would come in and we'd say, okay, let's outline the hiring uh, the interview process. We would map out the stages and the custom questions, and we would go through profile reviews and see if they seemed accurate and aligned with the salary range that the uh, hiring manager had provided with to us. And it was only after all of that that we would submit that to executive approval. Once the CEO uh, at the time, because we were a 100-person company, 
uh, decided to that that was acceptable and that made sense. And the, and actually, we had the CFO sign off as well. So it was CEO and CFO from a financial control perspective uh, signed off on that. Then the job would go live. And we also had criteria in place, like if too much of the job changed to where the salary range changed drastically, or we went from like a manager to a director, or there was something in place that was a significant shift, or, you know, it's an account executive, but we're looking for something completely different at this point in time, then we would close the role and it would need to be opened as a new role. So there weren't like a lot of huge pivots. If something had to be like a small adjustment, that's going to happen. But if there are huge pivots, and this is somewhat uh, situational, so I'm not, I mean, I could give examples, but I think you guys get it. If it's if it's essentially a different role, then that shouldn't just like, you know, that shouldn't just be uh, the same rec open within the system. That the, the rec should be closed and then a new one should be opened. The other things is that we would tier openings. So one of the big uh, things that we did to shift the, to get better results is I implemented tiers, tier one and tier two. Tier one was top priority, tier two wasn't. And in some cases, you can even have three tiers. So basically, the way it worked is that tier one would receive uh, full support from the recruiting organization. So we'd be doing outbound sourcing, scheduling recruiter screens, doing the whole nine yards from everything from you know start to offer, right? And honestly, post-offer, the initial two weeks of onboarding, we'd end up helping out because we didn't want any, anybody to drop the ball. We knew, honestly, we weren't necessarily getting the support we needed on the onboarding side. And I knew that it was tied to our, you know, the recruiting team outcomes too. So I would have the recruiting team actually work on making sure that everything was going well leading up to the start date and, and talking with hiring managers about like, okay, we got that 30, 60 day plan mapped out. What's the first week going to look like? Do we have the invites out? Is everything ready to go? But anyways, that was really what tier one looked like. It was full lifecycle support from the recruiting team. And then tier two, again, this is somewhat situational for your org, but it might be, okay, the job can be opened, but there's no outbound sourcing. We'll post the jobs and the recruiters will screen the inbound resumes, but we're not going to be spending the time doing the sourcing support until it moves up to tier one. And then you might even have like a tier three, which would be either the roles are not allowed to be opened yet. Or if they are, there's no recruiter support, which I really hate, by the way. So I don't recommend doing that. Uh, I see some companies only have tier one where it's full and then tier two is not open. They're basically on deck until tier one rolls open up. So for a 100-person company, we had top five priority roles. Everything else came down as tier two where we'd manage inbound. And I think we set the limit for like 10 tier two roles. And obviously, this is going to vary based on the size of your organization, how many recruiters you have. I'm a big belief. I have a big belief in between five to 10 recs per recruiter. I don't believe in high volume environments. I think candidate experience suffers, quality of hire suffers, time to fill suffers. Everybody has a, a frustrating experience from the recruiters to the hiring managers, to the executive team, uh, to the candidates. It just sucks for everybody. So I am a big believer of that. Of course, there are a, a, a exceptions. And I'm sure somebody listening in is like, what are you talking about? Like, we do a lot more. It's like, well, you probably have a different environment than a 100% B2B SaaS growth stage company. Uh, would be my thought process. And again, like the audience I'm primarily catering to here is startups, growth stage, pre-IPO, and even big tech. But I'm typically talking about the tech industry. So while this data, this insight is still applicable to other industries, just keep in mind that when I'm sharing some of this more specific information, that's where I'm coming from. So the way that you decide which roles go into tier one is having a close relationship with the other members of the executive team. You got to talk to the CFO, the CEO, 
you have to understand the vision of the company, what is trying to be accomplished over the next 12 months and to set the right priority. And this is where the more that you can be a partner versus like, you're not an order taker, right? As a talent acquisition leader, you really need to understand the vision of the company and what needs to be accomplished and help them do that headcount planning uh, to decide who's which roles are going to be priority one. Uh, the other thing is I would mention is you need to be pretty firm on leadership, not asking to shift top priority roles too often. First off, it's going to mess up your performance, right? Because you're not going to get as many hires across if they're switching roles every two weeks. But you need to hold them accountable to that and hold them accountable to like, okay, this is priority one. We can, if you want to add more roles, we're going to put them on deck for number two. Or if they are going to shift out, if they do want to add another role to priority one, it's like, okay, well, what are we taking out? And make sure you're articulating, okay, well, look, if we put this down to priority two, you know, we're going to have fewer hires this month. Like if we're trying to target X amount of hires per month or X amount per quarter, which quarterly is better, just understand that this is going to impact that this is inefficient. We've had this VP interviewing people for the past three weeks. Now we're basically saying, putting that on pause. We have candidates in process. We're not going to be able to get to, we have the VP and you start to go through that path. And sometimes you're able to override that and allow, you know, get them to agree to keep this in priority one. So I think doing those uh, tier prioritization is really important. Uh, cleaning up the careers page is uh, also important. It should be a nice asset. Just like you send a nice proposal to a customer, you should have a nice uh, landing page for a careers page. You should have videos uh, from particularly employees in scale positions. So if you're hiring a lot of software developers or account executives, you should have videos of software developers talking about what it's like there in the first 90 days, what kind of projects they're working on, what the interview process was like, how they prepared for that, you know, what the culture is like, right? Work-life balance, benefits, whatever are the most common questions that you're getting in the interview process are should also be on the careers page. If you want an example, you can go to my company's website, securevision.io, go to the careers page and look at some of the videos that we put together of our employees that are, are speaking to the experience of working at Secure Vision. The other thing I, I mentioned is once you build out that careers page to be really nice, a link to that should be dropped into all of your outbound sourcing messaging. Remember that people aren't going to just like stumble upon your careers page. You have to push it out. It's an asset that you need to send out to folks considering your business. So when you do that, make sure that you're pushing that out and outbound sourcing. When people apply to roles, you should also have some type of attribution so you understand where they initially heard from you, right? So if it's sourcing message, but they apply through the careers page, you'd want to know that if it came from sourcing efforts. So that's something to keep in mind too. In terms of next, next um, step, I would say, kind of went through exactly how to hit the ground running, what to do as a, as a, you know, a new leader coming into an organization or to optimize hitting hiring targets and hyper growth really comes down to being willing to do several parts of the job. Like you need to be able to set the strategy process in tech, but you also need to be willing to jump in as that final kind of stop at the end of the interview process to make sure that only good people are coming through. I want to transition into how to stand, uh, stand out from a talent acquisition perspective, how to get candidates on board and excited about working for you. I want to let you know that you don't have to have like an Elon Musk, uh, well, actually he's not that popular anymore, <laughs> but that you like you don't need to have a company like SpaceX that's like trying to send humanity to Mars. Like you don't have to have a mission like that to, uh, to attract top talent. I think that you do need to some extent charismatic leaders, at least one, doesn't have to be the CEO. It's got to be somebody that's good at 
uh, selling kind of the vision of the future of the company. But you don't need to be doing anything like insane from a mission perspective. Like, believe me, like I do embedded recruiting for the tech industry. Like we're plugging in recruiters on a temporary basis to hire like developers and account executives. You know, I'm not putting people on Mars. That's not my goal, right? It's to provide a very high quality solution to the tech industry. But we've been able to get people very, very excited about that. And so if you don't have like that type of mission, right, your mission could be like creating an amazing people first experience. It could be capping capacity for each role so that people have a good work-life balance. It could be recharge days and benefits. It could be uh, a lot of things related to how you treat and respect your, your employees and your customers and you can get people really excited about that. In fact, there's a lot of folks that would much rather work for a company that cares about them as a whole human, right? And helps wants to help them get the most out of life, not just the most out of their work, but the most out of life than work for a company that maybe has a cool mission, but is just going to burn them out in nine months, right? And they're going to have to leave. So don't necessarily think that you have to have this crazy, crazy mission just to attract great people. The other thing is treat them like a customer. Like that's the one thing that I always try to remind executive teams, like your candidates are your customers, right? Like you you shouldn't look at them any different. So when you look at optimizing your demand gen engine for your revenue motion, you're trying to basically remove friction, optimize and increase conversion rates, right? At least down funnel and provide the best experience as possible and the easiest transition from prospect to new customer, right? So you can avoid and eliminate churn. And that's basically the same thing on the candidate side. Any of the resources you are producing for customers, you should be producing for candidates. So this could be candidate packs. It could be data. It could be any type of information on the careers page or some kind of like deck that you send them, right? In terms of way interviews are scheduled, it should be like in a sales process. You're not having several meetings where the same stuff is being covered multiple times. There's a a set purpose for a discovery call. That's the screening call. There's a set purpose for the follow-up, right? Whatever it might be, you are approaching it from the same lens as this is my customer. And as a CEO, I think it's beneficial to basically look at your company as two big demand gen funnels. One funnel being acquiring customers and the other funnel being acquiring talent. And in order to build a successful business, you've got to be really good at doing both of those things. And I honestly think that as a CEO, that's a really good lens to look at what your job is uh, at your company. The other thing that I'll mention, and this is a little more tactical, I haven't seen a lot of recruiters do a very good job of changing their pitch based on the values of the specific candidate they're speaking to. And I've been around a lot of recruiters. I hardly ever see this. This is something my team does, but it's not something that a lot of people do. So what I mean by that is how you pitch a company to a mom or dad with three kids that is focused on stability and benefits should be drastically different than how you pitch a company to you know, maybe somebody early in their career that's incredibly ambitious and wants to move up the corporate ladder as soon as possible. That should be a totally different pitch. So when you're doing your screening calls, you should be asking questions like, what do you care about? What are you looking for? Where do you want to be in the next five years? I know a lot of people hate that question and I don't know what's wrong with them. I love that question. Like if somebody doesn't have any idea of the direction they want to take in their life, like I don't necessarily want them working for me. Sorry, just the truth. Uh, It can change, but they should have some clear direction about where they want to be and why. Just my opinion. Again, a lot of people hate that. Anyways, so you want to ask all of those types of questions and get a pulse on what matters to them, what they care about, get them talking. 
only when you have that information should you be pitching the company. So if it's, you know, again, someone's like caring about benefits and they have kids and they worry about work-life balance and all these types of things. Like that's when you start to get into that. Like, hey, well, you know, for our production roles, we have a reasonable quota. We have X amount of the team hitting goal. Uh, you're going to be expected to work between 40 to 45 hours a week. We feel like that's reasonable. And, you know, the 70 or 80% of our team that's hitting goal is able to do that within this amount of work. We have really good benefits. You could bring your dependents on. It could be this, that, and the other, right? When you're pitching the company to the, uh, you know, the young and hungry person that's looking to move up quickly, then you talk about uh, salary bands, performance expectations, how performance is monitored, what professional development opportunity is, when they're going to be able to promote it under what criteria, right? What's the mentorship going to look like within the organization? What's the growth trajectory of the company? And as the company grows, how are they going to grow with the company? It's a totally different conversation. And I will tell you that like articulating the mission and the vision of the company is important, but nine out of 10 times isn't why people are joining the company. To be clear, you need to be able to articulate that in a compelling way. But the way I should have said that is 90% of your time is explaining to them why this aligns with their values, why this specific role, whether from what they're going to be learning technically or the work-life balance that they're going to be able to have or the professional development that they're looking to have, that is in my experience, my team's experience, where most of the time is spent. So you need to be able to articulate the vision uh, what vision they believe in, which future they believe in, and why they believe they're well positioned to thrive in that future. That's very important. A lot of companies can't do that. So you definitely need to be able to do that. But you, from a time investment perspective, throughout the process, you are primarily going to be talking about how it's going to benefit them and help them reach their personal goals. So I think that the the process should be catered to that. I think notes should be put in the ATS. I think every hiring manager throughout the interview process should know what the candidate cares about. They should know, obviously, what they're supposed to say with custom questions. I think we all know that we don't always do that, do we? Right? We don't always implement custom questions, and it creates a bad candidate experience because they end up getting asked the same question by several hiring managers in several interviews. But beyond that, we need to go a step further, and you should know a little bit about the candidate before jumping on the interview. And you got to remember that why they join the company might be different from the reason that, you know, why you join the company could be completely different and both are okay. You want a diverse team, right? Diverse teams perform better. You want people that are diverse in all senses of the word. So I think that that's really important to, to consider. That's it for today. Keep it short and sweet. Uh, I'm really excited to cover additional topics. If there's anything you want us to discuss on the show, uh, please let me know. You can reach out to me on LinkedIn. You can also drop us a note on talenttrends.io. Reach out to us about guests or comments. Um, you know, Reach out to Morella and uh, her email can actually be found on the talenttrends.io website. Thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate your support. We're publishing an episode every Tuesday and Thursday morning at 5 a.m. EST. And we will see you next time. Take care. Thank you for tuning in to the Breakthrough Hiring Show. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode and gained a lot of valuable insights to help guide your talent strategy. I also want to say thank you to my team at Secure Vision for making the show possible. Secure Vision is the number one embedded recruitment provider, and we are a three-time category leader on G2. Secure Vision partners with over 150 companies to provide on-demand recruiters who specialize in either tech, revenue, or GNA. For more information, you can visit securevision.io. For more content, you can follow me on LinkedIn at James Mackey or on Twitter at James Mackey DMV. 
We've dropped links in the description. If you want to be on our show or have any topics you'd like for us to cover, reach out at breakthroughhiring.io. We really appreciate your support with reviews on Apple Podcasts. And lastly, make sure to tune in every Tuesday and Thursday for a new episode. See you next time.